1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 110. Welcome into
2: another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion, and I'm Ken Ray. Are you sure we should do the whole show like this? It, it was good! I, yeah. I I thought we nailed it. I thought we inhabited the character. I, I think we might have screwed up one part. Which was?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, people can figure it out. Each week on Mission Log, we break down a Star Trek story into the tiniest bitty bits possible. Uh, parsing the yeses and nos, the zeros and ones of that episode to see what the messages are and whether the whole thing stands the test of time. Uh, today... It is the long-awaited sequel, one one zero zero one zero zero one, which is, of course, the sequel to one one zero zero one zero zero zero. Now, if you. you haven't heard or seen that one, don't worry because <laughs> we'll catch you up. Because you yeah. got you got a lot of catching up to do if you're if you're just joining us. Um, one million episodes in.
2: And if you've been listening to us long enough, I think you you knew that you had to expect an opening like that. <laughs> kind of. I, I mean, because I, I think we both had exactly the same idea. Oh, yeah. About, yeah. About the opening. So yeah.
0: and I, I, I hate to do this, but already uh-huh. this early in the show, I have to make two corrections. OK, um, it's 11 million, not one million. I have oh, a problem right. with the big oh, okay. numbers. And then oh. uh, and then the other thing, I think we reversed who we are earlier. And that just feels dumb. So, you know, for the record. <laughs> I'm John Champion, And I'm Ken Ray. Uh, yeah, maybe no. it wasn't the binary thing. I
2: don't know. Yeah, it's the other way around. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Eh, all I can right. say. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, if you want to correct us or help us, um, if you want to accept our, uh, our apologies or our thanks, <laughs> you can get in touch with us in many, many ways on the Internet. Uh, you can join us at Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, the handle in all three of those places, Mission Log Pod. You can call us at 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And uh, on our own website, which is missionlogpodcast.com, you will find many things like The Discovered Documents, which you should definitely be checking out. And uh, we have two other places where you can pick up Mission Log we want you to be aware of. TrekMovie.com and Trek.FM, which is Trek.FM. And please remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Beep
0: warp. Beep warp. You know what that means. It's time for John Champion's trivia. That's uh, that's binary, by the way. For it's time for John Champion's trivia. It Takes a lot oh. less time to say stuff in binary. <laughs> okay. By the way, let me just go ahead and stop before before we get the emails. I know next to nothing about binary. I know there are zeros and mm-hmm. there are ones. Mm. So anything that I say about binary after that, just I mean, don't 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 bother correcting me because I know the stuff's out there for me to learn. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but just, we can't you know, hold you to
0: it yeah no. I, I wish i wish you wouldn't i'll put it okay. that way I, god bless you if you speak binary uh, or, or whatever
2: <laughs> okay john so i uh, can't you know today's episode the the tng title is one one zero zero one zero zero one but yes. but and we didn't plan it this way this is the 110th episode of Mission Log. So technically today's show is 11011001001. Yeah, you're going to start the technological singularity. I will. <laughs> I will. I just blew you away and half our audience. Um, but <laughs> but you may be asking What does the binary title mean? Well, you can translate those numbers in many, many different ways. Um, So it it would be the number 201 if you translated that to decimal. Uh, It it could be looked at as uh, a number that is very close to pi in binary. Mm. Um, it, It could even be the letter E, With an accent over it, Um, in uh, I believe it's Windows, one variant of Windows for Unicode. So, uh, yeah, so there are many, many ways you can translate this. But realistically, what do these numbers mean? Well, it's the names of the binar characters that we meet in the show. We have one zero and zero one first, and then later we meet one one and zero zero. And that must make addressing Christmas cards very difficult. On the planet Binus. Um, Now, in this episode, you probably noticed a very nice reuse of the Starbase model first seen in the TOS movies, uh, though the scale is a little off for the use of the Enterprise D. The Enterprise D is much bigger than the old Enterprise. Um, And you know what? They knew this at the time. And it's still a good special effect, uh, but they would rather have kept the effect and done it on a budget than do nothing at all. Because otherwise, we'd have just had people describing, "Hey, look, we're going into space dock now," and then cut to an interior on space dock somewhere, and not actually see the Enterprise flying in. Now. The storyline for this episode would have been a little bit different if they had kept to the original production schedule. Uh, This episode was supposed to have been before The Big Goodbye, and it was the Binar upgrades that made those characters in The Big Goodbye so real. So they made some reference to that in the new timeline uh, in the episode with Riker saying that they were delayed uh, when they get to Starbase. He says that they were delayed, and that's referring to Angel 1 and then jumping over to the neutral zone right after that. And uh, and also a reference to the Bynars finding the damage that occurred from the probe, uh, which was in The Big Goodbye. Um, however, it would have made more sense uh, if you keep the original timeline for things like Picard's reaction to the upgrades in the first place or him stating that he wants to quote get lost in the pages of an old book um i'm going to mention a few actors here gene donarsky uh, as commander quinteros on the starbase he he appeared in the mark of gideon but more prominently he was ben in mud's women so uh you definitely take a look back and as unmistakable that that is gene Donarski. And uh, Carolyn McCormick, of course, the other big, big standout in today's show. She has had a very busy career since Next Generation. She has appeared on multiple versions of Law & Order. In fact, uh, she has played Dr. Elizabeth Olivet in five different TV series. Law & Order, New York Undercover, Law & Order SVU, Law & Order Criminal Intent, and Law & Order Trial by Jury. So she's sort of like the Michael Dorn of law and order just getting to play the same character at all for the
0: place. <laughs> and um No, actually, you know, she's like um the Richard Belzer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Munch yeah, yeah. Munch, better, yeah. I can't remember actually has the record, I believe. Richard Belzer's character Munch has the record for playing the same character on the most number of shows, but they're like they're dis- disparate shows. Like he played Munch on The X-Files.
2: Oh, wow. And he played Munch
0: on Homicide, and he played Munch on Law & Order, and of course, you know, once you're on one of the Law & Order shows, you get to be on almost all of them, right? At least one time it's a crossover thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that
0: that show actually spawns all kinds of records, I guess.
2: Hear all about it in our Law and Order podcast starting yep. in the year 2030. I was going to say 2030 after <laughs> yeah. Moonlight again,
0: whatever that other one is that we have to
2: do after that. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, now, Carolyn McCormick also appeared in the movie Enemy Mine, uh, which may or may not parallel another well known episode of Next Gen. His and- eyes open. Yeah, There you go. And um, it, it's interesting to me that she pretty much only worked as an extra before landing the role on Next Gen. I mean, she did have some featured roles as well, uh, but this was one of her first really breakout roles. Um, speaking of Michael Dorn, as I was earlier, that is his voice that we hear as the male computer voice during the, uh, the evacuation scenes on the Enterprise. And finally, there are four women who played the Bionars, uh, Katie Boyer, Alexander Johnson, uh, Iva Lane, and Kellyanne McNally. Now, Lane actually appeared in Star Trek motion picture as a crewman, a human that time. So uh, she can be spotted on the bridge as well as in the wreck deck scene where everybody is on. And uh, their voices were downpitched in post-production. This whole technique, not unlike the method used to create the Telosians in the cage. <laughs>
1: Not knowing binary is no excuse for misrepresenting binary. For example, Beep warp is not binary. I'm beginning to think neither of these guys is the man for me.
0: Prologue. The Enterprise is putting in at Starbase 74 for routine maintenance. Couple of upgrades. They're even going to get some upgrades to the holodeck. Wow. Mentioning the holodeck in the prologue. I'm sure everything will be fine. Enterprise maintenance will be overseen by Commander Kinteros, which is no small thing. He oversaw construction of the 1701-D. No, the small things are the binars, a matched pair of beings, sort of making up one person, maybe. Think of them like Thing 1 and Thing 2. Except they speak and think in binary, so it'd be Thing 1 and Thing 0. Actually, these are Things One Zero and Thing Zero One. one The binars seem a little stressed. They've only got 48 hours to complete their upgrades. Yeah, it should be okay, though. Picard's going to spend his downtime reading. Riker's got no plans. Something'll turn up, though. It always does. On the bridge, Riker is surprised to find a second pair of binars working on the Enterprise computer. He's not sure everything's okay. He leaves Wesley Crusher to keep an eye on the bridge and the binars. Act 1. It looks like Riker is the only one without plans for downtime. Yar, Worf, and some others are going for some pickup for easy squares on the Starbase. Dr. Crusher is going to meet some cybernetics expert... Jordy is teaching Data to paint. Yeah, maybe Riker will check out what's going on in the holodeck, which the Binars have just finished upgrading. He chooses a late 1950s jazz club in New Orleans, complete with a bass player, piano player, drummer, and a trombone for Riker to play. And an audience of one. After cycling through a few holodeck-generated females, Riker says hello to Minuet. It's like she was made for him. Which, of course, she was, but this is different. It's like she knows what he's going to say before he says it. The Bynars, who had been checking his reaction, make a quiet exit. Act 2. On the bridge, Wes is learning more about the Bynars. They live almost completely intermixed with their computers. It has advantages and disadvantages. Captain Picard stops by the bridge to check on Wes and the work being done. Now he's off to Holodeck 4 to say hey to Commander Riker. Riker who is on the holodeck doing who knows what. It's cool, though. He's just sitting in with the jazz trio. He tells Menuet he has to go do some work for a bit, though she asks if they can have one dance first. On the dance floor, they talk about Riker's work, how much it means to him, how lucky he is. But man alive, is she so real. Yeah, he knows she's not real, but boy, she sure could be. She thanks him for saying so. It's then that Picard walks in, without so much as knocking. Luckily, Riker and Minuet were just making out. Minuet is almost as captivating to Picard as she is to Riker. Not like she's hitting on him, though. More like a wife or girlfriend trying to impress her significant other's boss. And doing a bang-up job. Back outside the holodeck, young Mr. Crusher, who seriously has the bridge, is detecting trouble with the magnetic containment field which contains the antimatter. He's called Data and LaForge, who will head to engineering to check it out. They tell him not to disturb Picard and Riker until they know what's up. They get to engineering, and it turns out what's up is all hell's breaking loose. The magnetic containment field is falling apart. When it does, the ship will explode. Based on available information, Data decides the best thing to do is evacuate the Enterprise and program it to move at top speed as far away from Starbase 74 as possible. He calls for all personnel to abandon ship. Act 3. All personnel are abandoning ship. There's one potential issue, though. No one has seen Riker and Picard. Come to think of it, where are the Binars? And, hey, the magnetic containment field turns out to be fine. Bummer part, that's the last reading they get from the ship before it speeds off on its automated way. Back on the holodeck, Picard is finally starting to think that he's maybe a third wheel on this date between Riker and Minuet... Minuet says she and Picard should dance, but he says he doesn't dance. Well, have some more wine, then. Thanks, really, but Picard must be going. Finally, Minuet says Picard can't go. Not yet. And now both officers get the fact that something's up. Picard calls for the exit and finds the ship under red alert. Picard and Riker are the only Starfleet personnel on the Enterprise. A quick quiz of the computer lets them know that they are on their way to the homeworld of the Binars. They ask Minuet what the deal is, though she says she's not programmed to give that answer. She was just supposed to keep Riker occupied. Picard showing up was a happy accident. The captain and the first officer leave the holodeck to retake control of the Enterprise. Act 4. Unable to contact the bridge, Picard and Riker head to engineering. Their plan? Set the ship to blow up, retake the bridge, then stop the ship from blowing up. They'll have five minutes to pull that off. On their way out of engineering, the officers notice a huge amount of data being uploaded and stored to the Enterprise computer. Another part of the mystery. Unable to simply walk onto the bridge, Riker and Picard beam onto different places. Hopefully one of them will survive and be able to regain control of the ship. Otherwise, no more ship. Back on Starbase 74, Data's wondering if he should have maybe never left the bridge. Or never leave it again. He's afraid he was negligent, spending his time learning to paint. A well-written Tasha Yar tells him that such speculation is pointless. He could have been on the bridge, and still this might have happened. Back on the Enterprise, Picard and Riker do their two point B-men, only to find four unconscious binars laying against a wall. One pair wakes up just long enough to say, Please, try to help us. Act 5. First things first, Picard and Riker stopped the ship from blowing up. Now to make contact with Binus and find out what's going on. Interesting. What's going on is every machine on the planet seems completely inert. Where the inhabitants literally depend on the planet's technology, they are just dying. Just like the ones on the bridge. This must be what they wanted help with. But who can tell them what to do? The answer, of course, is Minuet. Back on the holodeck, she explains that a star in the Binus system went supernova. The Binars figured that that would send an electromagnetic pulse that would disable the planet's technology. But the timing got screwed up. The star went supernova early, and the Enterprise got to Starbase 74 late. So when it arrived, the Binars hijacked the biggest computer they could find—that would be the Enterprise— did a core dump of their world's data onto the ship's computer, theoretically saving the world. There's just one issue— getting that info back to the planet's computers. Not surprisingly, they figure out how to do it. Riker tries, but he cannot. It occurs to Picard that since the Bynars work together, it may take both of them working at two terminals to get the job done. And that does do the trick. The Bynar world starts to reboot, the Bynars on the bridge come to... and yay! Except for the part where the Bynars now have to face formal hearings over their actions. It'll probably be alright, though. With everyone back on board, Riker goes back to the holodeck to continue his rendezvous with Minuet. But she is gone. He tries to get the holodeck to rebuild her, but it's no good. Which is a crappy
2: way to say the end. Poor Riker, you, you'd think that they would have kept a copy of the program. I know. For Minuet. <laughs> I know. That's really, you know, because you think about the binars—they come in and they they need help, but they won't ask for it, and they mess up our stuff, and then they feel bad about it. The least they could do is say, "Okay, here you go." Here's Minuet.
0: Well, so here's what I'm wondering: Were the binars, you know, sort of playing jazz themselves there? Right? I mean, once they once they see that Riker is kind of turned on by Minuet, are they actually mm-hmm. are they sort of riding the console the whole time then? Like, I got that uh, impression. Yes. All right.
2: Yeah.
0: Because yeah. I, I, I assumed that they weren't because they are off on other parts of the ship doing other things. Mm-hmm. And yet, yeah, there's something I think Picard actually says later that maybe that was part of the binarist programming. Although, again, if it's part of the programming, hi, they should be able to leave her. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, you, you seemingly would have a copy of all of that.
0: You would think so. Well, they can make a copy of their planet.
2: Yeah, right. Like <laughs> so you can you can make a copy of a yeah. holographic woman. Come on, you would
0: think so. Even even the best holographic woman ever. And by the way, I know we haven't seen many. Yeah, but so far she is the best holographic woman ever. So
2: far, yes, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Um, yeah I, by the way, I also had to wonder if you know. The Bynars have done a pretty egregious crime here. They have... So, you know, we people freaked out when Captain Kirk stole the Enterprise to go on a mission. And even though it was an important mission still, Mm -hmm. he stole the Enterprise. And, and man, you you put another ship in pursuit right away. And this guy is going to face charges and and all of this stuff. And he only gets out of it because of a couple of whales. Yeah. But... (laughs) But... Um, I, I wonder if we're so kind to the binars at the end of this because they're kind of they're kind of adorable and they're small and they're nice. You know, had it been Klingon saying, "Well, we're going to steal this ship because we have to go fix this thing on our planet," they would still face charges at the end of that process.
0: Well, these guys are going to face charges. Are or, or well, gals they, or are people or beings?
2: They, they, these, these beings will, but, but Picard, even at the end, he's like. Yeah, well, you'll have to, but, you know, but we understand.
0: I don't know. I would think that Starfleet and the Federation would be in the business of saving planets.
2: Oh, sure. Of course. But, but they're also in the business of, you know, sticking to, sticking to the rules. The the rules, rule one, don't steal our stuff.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's (laughs) that's true. But I mean, I, I I don't know. I I think you're being a real hard nose on
2: this. Mm. Honestly. Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 think, <laughs> I, I think it's perfectly acceptable that right. they not face, you know, a, a, a really difficult time in court. I just, I wondered about it. I wonder if we would be easier on them because they're, they're kind of, they're a nice species. Yeah, can I ask a ridiculous question? Sure. Was the planet
0: always called Binus?
2: Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that kind of bothered me a
0: little. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, when they crawled out of the primordial ooze and, uh-huh. you know, and then they eventually made the wheel... Right and the cravat right. and you know yeah. all the things that made society what it was that they're like yep. yeah you know I'm, just, I'm just sort of a yes or no kind of guy, <laughs> <laughs> right, right and thus was born a civilization of people who spoke in beep warp,
2: right yeah yeah I, uh, I I think I had a note about that somewhere later on but it, it kind of bothers me <laughs> that you have the total monoculture <laughs> that is just based on what they do
0: yeah well so eventually yeah. they might change their names.
2: I will say this about the binars. They do exactly what was pointed out in a great video that I watched on crack.com. Um, and that's that the binars have no idea how to lie. Mm-hmm. And in this video that I was watching, they made the point that, that here are things that characters in movies and TV shows do all the time that should not be a problem. Only in movies, when somebody is telling a lie, do they get stuttered? Do they do they stop? And they, uh, well, we we weren't doing uh, anything. No, no, we were just uh, standing here. No, people don't lie like that, <laughs> you know. Maybe the binars do, but but nobody actually lies like that. People are pretty good at lying, and um, yeah, <laughs> who and, and, and are you just, hanging out with? No.
0: <laughs> some people, I'm just saying some people might get, you know, sort of flummoxed by that, but I get, what right. I, I do get what you're saying. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, pretty yeah. obvious. Yeah, God bless uh, young Mr. Crusher for doing the yeah, whole he's the uh, only one
2: who could figure it out. Yeah. Well,
0: no, but he was also like, no, I, I, initially when Riker's like, so what are you guys up to? And mm-hmm. they're like, uh, uh, nothing. Right, And Riker's like, eh, I don't know if I believe him. And Crusher's like, yeah, but that could just be their way. Which is true, because, you know, Riker, as we talked about last week, I think, is, is a big, imposing figure. Mm-hmm. And the binar has come up to, like, his knee. Right. Right.
2: Okay, and maybe- they look up, and it's just a forest of hair. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah.
0: thank goodness he actually has his uniform on. I Otherwise, know, right? I just yeah. freaked out entirely. <laughs> uh, I think I mentioned this in the, in the recap, but uh, pretty much the second—and I've seen this episode before, but I— you know, I don't know them just from the very beginning, mm-hmm. but pretty much the second he said, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to get the holodeck upgrade. I was like, oh, <laughs> guess what's in today's episode? <laughs> right. yeah, if they mention that, you know, yeah, right. it's, uh, yeah, things are things are going to be fine.
2: Yeah. You'd think they could have like police tape in front of it. Just say nobody even say holodeck. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Picks
0: me on the holodeck. hay.
2: right, right, um." Worf had that great line, uh, if winning is not important, then why keep score? And one of our listeners said uh, uh, they wrote in an email ahead of time and said it's the only way you can tell who buys the beer. Yeah, no, when to st- I think it was when to stop and start drinking beer, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like my version better. No, I, it, no I, they're both <laughs> good, yeah, but, you know,
0: <laughs> when's, the when's yeah. Miller time? That's, yeah. that's pretty much what that is. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I, I thought Data's attempt at uh, creativity through painting, I, I kind of blew it off at first, the, the first time or two watching it um and then i thought it was sort of a nice parallel to what exactly are the limits to manufactured intelligence vis-a-vis Riker's experience in the holodeck with minuet you know it's easier for him to believe when the form is a human female he is totally drawn into it he's totally into the idea that she can make decisions on her own. She's she is creating information on her own. Uh but with data, it's like, hey, yeah, nice try with the blind guy teach the robot how to paint. Cute. <laughs> you know?
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think that
0: actually warrants more discussion.
2: Okay. Maybe well, we can not. Well oh, no, it. maybe not
0: today. I don't know. Yeah, but, I yeah. mean there's actually there's a lot that happens in this episode that makes me wonder about, you know. Uh, emotion and creativity and thought and what have you data's Mm -hmm. convinced that he's not creative and so he's trying to teach himself to be creative but just by standing there in front of a painting yeah or in front of a well what passes for a canvas i guess and 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 painting he's actually producing more than a lot of painters i know (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he's just making himself do the work um that said is he being creative he might say no and yet there's something there where there had been nothing before so maybe he doesn't understand the creative process and maybe he doesn't get that same, you know, that same thrill. I mean, again, this is this is Data trying to be trying to be human, which is kind of a weird. This is a weird thing for him to try to be human about. Right. Yes, he can make a painting. Certainly he should be able to draw no problem. But then does he feel that 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 artistic or creative spark that, you know, that he's apparently looking for?
1: Well,
2: yeah, the question is, you know, how much abstract thinking can he do to make something that is wholly original? And can you just take that information and transplant it into a hundred other datas and end up with a hundred other paintings that are exactly the same?
0: Oh, man. And it becomes like a starving artist show. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> exactly. Data just, you know, moving into the airport, Hilton, mm-hmm. selling mm-hmm. big things to go over the couch.
2: Right. Hey, how much vetting are we doing for people who are supposed to come on board to fix things? Um, and, and are the binaries just totally resigned to the idea of being tech support for the whole galaxy?
0: I don't know. they were actually really excited to work on such a mobile computer. Mm-hmm. Such a well, they were excited computer. because
2: that mobile computer is going to save their world.
0: Well, but I mean, I, I sort of got yeah. the impression that they would have been excited about that anyway. It's interesting mm-hmm. to me that the, that the enterprise computer is big enough that it can actually store all of the data of a planet. Of a planet that's very tech-heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, kind of, uh, that was kind of weird and surprising to find Seems out. Like and, and yet it was still able to, you know, run the holodeck and fly the ship. Right, And right. keep life support going. I mean, the one thing it did do was it was killing power on, um, on decks where there was nobody hanging out. Although it mm-hmm. wasn't really doing a good job at that because Riker was actually hanging out <laughs> on right. one of the decks where it killed the power. They were right. like, oh yeah, all power is being shut down on uninhabited decks. I mm-hmm. would oh, like the one I'm calling you from,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: oh, right. Yeah. Sorry, dude. I'm just. It's look. I got a whole planet's worth of. St- oh, you're not supposed to know about that yet. Mm-hmm. Shh, nothing. Hey, have you played on the holodeck? Because <laughs> that's working. I gotta say, I'm a little. Um, you said okay, the order, whatever. I understand what you're saying yeah, about yeah. how the long goodbye would have worked better. I am so excited to have Star Trek. Remember Star Trek. To yeah, have TNG remembers TNG even. This is not like in the first couple of episodes where they were like, ah, yes, we of the next generation remember the original series. This is like, wow, where have you been? You know? It's like, <laughs> oh, well, sorry, something happened two weeks ago that has, you know, sort of, like, screwed with our timeline a bit. And then when Riker shows up, to the binaries, they're like, oh, yeah, that alien probe thing? Totally mm-hmm. worked that out. And I was just, I was like... Wait, we remember the alien probe thing. They're not even doing that in exposition like, oh, last week we got hit by a thing, but they <laughs> right, fix right. this. Now it's not like, have you been paying attention? If you have, then you're picking up clues about, you know, the fact that we've also been paying attention. That was exciting.
2: Well, it was done right. There is no lengthy exposition and you could watch the episode on its own oh, without yeah. having seen the other one. It didn't really matter. But Absolutely. when you heard that one little mention, you're like, ah, yes. yeah, I Continuity.
0: I mean. Oh, my goodness.
2: <laughs> How dare they? How dare they start continuity now?
0: Oh, I think it's totally awesome.
2: <laughs> um in uh, And I know that we'll, we'll talk more about the differences in the holodeck that we've seen so far. But I do want to point out that in this version of the holodeck, uh, we don't have the problem we did before with the characters being aware of the player's uniforms. Um, so, you know, Minuet is aware that she's a simulation, unlike Cyrus Redblock. But she doesn't say anything about uh, Riker or Picard being dressed like a bellhop.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, because we had a little bit of discussion about that, about how much do the characters know about... The people who are in there with them and are they actually seeing what they look like as put to the computer just saying no here's how you interact. Well, there's a thing that
0: happens in this episode where they're talking about Minuet and how she's sort of anticipating everything that Riker is doing and and, and Picard says that we as humans put off so many tells yeah. for her to anticipate yeah, When Riker went on to the holodeck, he was looking to sort of lose himself um, in jazz and, and, and the affections of a lady. Mm-hmm. When Picard went into the big goodbye, or went into the world of Dixon Hill, uh, he was looking to be Dixon Hill. Mm-hmm. And so, so there's a difference mm-hmm. there, right? When when Picard shows up, he, he may be putting off something where the computer knows, okay, well, he wants to be this, this hard-boiled detective... But he's dressed like a bellhop. And so that's going to play in. Whereas when Riker shows up, he's not trying to be someone else. He's trying to be Riker. He's trying right, to be like right. Riker with a whole bunch of distraction. But right. he's still trying to be Riker. So yeah. that could be that's why. A I mean, that's good that's, distinction, that's, yeah. that's describing a lot of, um, a lot of uh, sort of amazing, amazing work to the computer. But, I mean, the computer is just showing up with amazing work in this episode. When, when Riker goes in and there's the jazz trio... And there's the trombone. He's like, okay, now give me an audience. And so there are like 20 people in there. He says, whoa, too many. Yeah. I was thinking something a little more intimate. Okay, right. well, in a jazz club, that could be like three or four people, you know, but but just, just by his intonation, uh, oh, oh, you mean a lady? You, you mean one person? <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Uh-huh. Yeah, without any sort uh-huh. of explanation at all. Just, I was thinking something a little more intimate. Boom, the computer is, well, on the way. Of course, we have to cycle to like three or four women before we get to the one that's going to... Please, Mr. Jazz Player of the
2: Universe, but still. Right, right. Um, it, there's a good little bit of tension when we think the ship is about to blow up, and then we're about to blow it up again. Mm-hmm. So so they get ready to leave space dock because this, this crisis is happening with the magnetic field not holding, and then we get out there, and then Picard's like, uh, well, I know what to do. <laughs> we'll self-destruct the ship, <laughs> you know? Because we, we saw this once in Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, Where Picard's do I mean uh, Kirk is sort of doing the uh, the standoff Mm -hmm. uh, and he's going to blow up the ship and it was really really tense and in this episode we tease you that we're going to do it twice yeah but uh,
0: what's interesting though is this isn't even a threat I mean don't let that
2: be your last battlefield it was
0: a threat that Kirk was making in 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 this episode Picard's just like yeah we don't know who's taking our ship and nobody's allowed to have our ship so Mm -hmm. let's blow it up.
2: Yeah, well, you're a done lot, with that, Riker. There's a lot <laughs> that I
0: don't like about. It. I mean, it, maybe it plays into the whole binary thing again. I don't know, but I understand it takes two of them to decide to blow up the ship. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that it also takes two of them to decide to not blow up the ship, and that that can only be done from a certain place.
2: Yeah, it well, it only
0: the- be done from the bridge, and it's sort of like, and they've only got five minutes. Yeah, and so anything could have happened, and it takes both of them again. So let's say they're running down the hall to get to the bridge, and Picard trips on something and breaks his leg, <laughs> <laughs> right? Or Riker, you know, it could happen to yeah. either of them. Yeah. <laughs> but at that point, it's sort of like, yeah, no, seriously, computer, he told me, like he he's sh- he's out in the hall, but he told me to tell you not to blow up the ship. Yeah, and the computer would be like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he's really supposed to be here telling me that, so I can't uh, can't help you. Bye bye.
2: I expected almost a little bit more uh, urgency in Riker's voice because they get up to the bridge and Picard says the command to undo the self-destruct and the computer, asks the first officer if he complies. And I expect Riker to say, yes, for God's sake. Yes, I comply. Please, please do not blow up the ship.
0: Now, you see, what's bothering me is I think that actually happens later, doesn't it? Does it? I want to say that I, I, there's some time where they're going to blow up a ship, and then and then the maybe it's a different movie. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> that I, I've heard that before, though, because then whoever it was that was in charge of originally not blowing up the ship turns to them and says, you know, yes, would have been fine.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, the first time that they're about to blow up the ship is uh, the mention of the the binars kind of uh, uh, throwing a, a wrench in the works and making it look like there's uh, a magnetic field coming apart in the warp core and right. i think blow up and take the uh, star base with it right and uh so they evacuate the ship and it's a it's a cool tense scene and um how come no one looks for the binars it, jordy actually says oh, i think we're the last yeah. and data says i hope so and they don't even think about the binars until the enterprise is well on its way out of there, so I go back to data you know this might be something to do with data's sort of very let's say very interesting way of remembering things because again, you would think that data would be well binary you know it 's either on or off he remembers or he doesn 't remember he knows how many people are on the enterprise or he doesn 't. Mm-hmm. And, and this is like a little later. Oh, yeah, there were four beings doing tech support on our ship. Huh. Wonder what happened to those guys, <laughs> you know? Except Data didn't see them. Well, they didn't see them. Okay. But, well, but so no. what? Okay.
0: He's supposed to keep track of everything, even things that he can't see?
2: Well, they, they Data, was, Data was
0: in his quarters painting. So it's not going to be on Data's mind. He is now called. So from engineering, he has said, everybody get off the ship.
2: Right, but he can't see
0: whether everybody is off the ship or not.
2: Well, yeah, but they were also running around the ship, and they also ended up back on the bridge because they took the turbo lift out of the bridge. I I think you expect far too much from Data.
0: You're expecting (laughs) him to actually see what he can't see. (laughs) No, I mean seriously, he's. I mean, you know, he 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 never even laid eyes on the binars, as far as we know. Actually, Mm. the whole episode, he never laid eyes on the binars. Now that I think about it, maybe at the very end.
2: Really? Okay. Yeah.
0: So. It's the whole thing with, uh, with Picard and, uh, and Riker as well. He hasn't seen them. And mm-hmm. the computer mm-hmm. tells him they're not there. You'd have to assume, too, that the binaries are actually wearing some sort of communicator because that's the, way that the, uh, that's the way that the Enterprise keeps up with who's where, right?
2: Right. Well, and they are wearing something. They are wearing technology.
0: Well, yes, but, but they're yeah, not yeah. necessarily tied in, like It's like, yeah. it's like, the, it's like the, um, the, the best wide area network. Is that what they're called? Uh-huh. The, the strongest Wi-Fi in the galaxy emanates from Binus. <laughs> it has to because when 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 the when the router on Binus goes down, <laughs> right, right? Yeah, then the ones who are on the enterprise start dying. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. amazing. So so Wi Fi like Galactic Wi Fi. Uh, sadly though, it's locked. It's, it's password protected, and it's you know binary. So good luck figuring that out.
1: I should not be so hard on the guys for not speaking binary. A lot of it is about life experience. For example, my first job was programming binary load lifters. They're a lot like vaporators in most respects.
0: So I love, um, what's going on in the holodeck. I love what's going on in the holodeck in this episode. So sort does of Riker. Yeah, no kidding. And Well, he should. Um... The minuet thing, I, I love. I love her name even, um, and I looked it up because I thought I knew what it was, but I wasn't sure. And the two definitions that I got were a slow, stately dance in triple meter, popular in the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries, or a piece of music for such a dance on uh, in its rhythm. I love the uh, I, I love the fact that they named her minuet because that's all she is. She is a dance for Riker to do while they're doing something else. She's a distraction. She's yeah. this. You know, she's this. She's this. Um, this this very uh, intricate and time consuming thing, and it was absolutely it was just an absolutely gorgeous name. Uh, just every level of what's going on on the holodeck is kind of interesting to me.
2: Well, all right. Speaking about that holodeck, mm-hmm. um, we we did talk about how the the storyline if things had been produced in the order that uh, that they had originally been intended um we would know why the characters in the big goodbye were such an upgrade and why Picard would have been so thrilled with with this new and impressive upgrade to uh, to the holodeck but now we have a sort of new new upgrade with the creation of minuet this is you know even beyond what any anybody on the Enterprise had uh, had conceived of before. Um, I mean, I thought Picard should not be too surprised by any of this. And again, it could have been the, the difference in the timing of when these scripts were produced. Um, he already had to contemplate the existential conundrum of his friend who was stuck in there mm-hmm. uh, at the end of The Big Goodbye. And he's downright amused at Riker. He's amused by Riker. Um, and he's also kind of playing it clueless that Riker is seriously having the hots for Minuet. Um, here's Riker having this, you know, intimate moment, and Picard's says, wow, th- this is so real. This is so incredible. I can't believe how good this is. She even responds to you. It's great. It's great. <laughs> um, so, but it, it returns us to that old question again. You know, is the holodeck character alive? in the sense of being aware, or is she just programmed to respond that way? And more importantly, how could we tell the difference? Mm. Um, you know, Riker indicates pretty early on that he will, uh, he, he, he will go all the way with Minuet to discover the answer to that and many other questions. Um, he just has no compunction about it at all. And it, it seems to be a pretty well-accepted use of the holodeck uh, that someone would lose themselves in it in that way. Um, so, yeah, uh, Minuet, I kept thinking about the idea that she is, she is aware of the idea that she is a hologram. Mm-hmm. But there are moments in the script where, and I, I assume it was the direction that was given this way, where she sort of stops and presents information like a computer. You know, when she gets caught, when Picard and Riker are on to what's happening and her demeanor changes and she stops being the seductive woman who's there to have an intimate conversation with Riker. And she starts being she starts being the voice of the Bynars
1: mm-hmm.
2: for what they're doing. But I still wondered, like, even with that happening, how... How aware is she of what is going on it, in the same way that Riker's friend, or I'm sorry, Picard's friend in The Big Goodbye was aware of his his existence? You know, he asked Picard at the end of that, what happens to me when you turn this program off? Will well, well, my wife and kids still be waiting for me at home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we know that when Riker goes back to the holodeck, Minuet is gone. So a, at least there is a partial Answer to that. But but the the essence of that programming that was Minuet, either well, if the Binars just simply took her with them and now now Riker's gonna try to make his way back to Binas to take that from them. Um but does she have the same existential question that was raised in the big goodbye? Yeah. You think? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. Honestly, I wasn't yeah. concerned about her existential question this time because she didn't ask it. I was more interested in what was going on with Riker there. Although, although she does, I mean, she does an absolutely fantastic thing that does make you ask that question, or could at least get you to ask that question when they're on the dance floor, mm-hmm. and Riker's talking about the way she smells, the way she feels, you know, everything. She yeah. She uh, he says he says I believe uh, you you seem so real, and she thanks him. Yeah. Who's thanking him? Right. Is, is the programming of the binars? Is there actually sort of a console jockey running her? And so outside, they're like, oh, well, thank you very much for noticing how good my work is. <laughs> well, hey. <laughs> or, you know, or is it this character that they've created or is it or is it the computer? Right. I mean, what's what's actually what's thanking him in that way? At the same time, I found myself uh, as interested, if not more so in what's going on with Riker at that point, because he is very aware the whole time um, that she's not real. And yet he's also very aware that she is triggering everything in him that a real person would. Right. Um there's a fantastic line, almost throw away, uh, where Picard says, Doesn't love always begin that way with the illusion more real than the woman? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think Menuet says something "Oh, spoken like a true Frenchman, Picard. But right. I mean there it's a, it's a fascinating thing, right? We don't And it kind of hurts my head after a while. (laughs) We are the people that we meet to a certain extent, right? The first time I meet you or the first time I meet some woman or whatever, or I don't know, coming across a cop on the street or or the the person standing behind the counter at the place that I got my coffee. I mean, we they are pretty much a construct of of me at that point of, of what I expect them to be. I might make up a story about them afterwards. The guy might be as the, the exact same to me as he was to the person before me, as he will be to the person after me, and yet I might think, that person was really rude to me, because I'm bringing so much other stuff with me. I mean, a lot of what's happening with Minuet is the great programming, but at least as much of it, if not more, is what's going on in Riker's head around it. And it's sure. Just, it's, it's just, that was the part that I kept getting tripped up on. like it, Wondering... Okay, so not what is her level of understanding of herself, but what is our level of understanding about anyone? Right. Yeah. <laughs> if we right, can come right. across this this made up thing, this 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 three D representation of zeros and ones, and go, oh yeah, I could totally be in love with that.
2: Well, and in that respect, she is every bit as real as anybody else, right? You know, um, and we kind of talked about that a little bit when we were talking about the big goodbye. the The idea that the the emotions that are influenced by something that is a, a construct, a fake you know I hate to use that word in this respect, but a, a, a fake idea like like a, a movie or a book or a TV show or a play where in this case a holodeck as being a, an extension of that the emotion is still real even if the construct is not mm-hmm. e- even if the figures that are there are holographic transporter technology, some amalgam thereof, um, which we'll you know try to explain later on in other episodes. But what the person who is a part of that is experiencing is still real on an emotional level. And you just sort of have to make a distinction at some point to say, well, even if the experience was real for me emotionally, visually, was it real, real in the respect of it takes the place of uh, experiencing that in the natural world? And in this case, I mean, can you say that Riker truly did fall in love with her? Well, I, I, you can certainly make that argument for sure. You know, he, he goes back for more yeah. and he's disappointed when she's not there. Yeah. So, so the experience for Riker was real, even if Minuet is not. And it's arguable as to whether or not Minuet is real. You know, she is as real as her programming.
0: You're right. People will stand around outside the holodeck and go, man, 20 years now, he goes in there and hangs out (laughs) with this person that he's calling his wife. It's just so weird. But if he's living a life for those 20 years where he's actually where he's happy, where he is getting that sense of fulfillment, Rather than, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's play it the other way. So yeah. he's going to spend 20 years looking for that person. And after X amount of time, maybe he just goes ahead and settles. Or maybe he actually does find that person, but she's already married to someone else. Or maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe so many different variables that don't exist there. And other people will look at him and go, Oh, what a tragic thing that he just goes and plays in that room with those electrons and considers himself loved. But here's the thing. He considers himself loved at the end of it. He's got what he, you know, what he is. He's actually. That's probably a perfect relationship for Riker, actually, because he is his mm-hmm. work after all.
2: Yeah. Well, that was an interesting line. Yeah. And I, um, will,
0: we should. We. I want to get to that in a second. Okay, but I. Okay. I. You know. I. I. Will surprise no one. I don't think by saying if Riker is feeling those feelings and those feelings are real for him at that point, it's only people standing around outside going, "Well, that's not real." Oh well, that's wrong. Oh well, that's not natural. I mean, it's only. It's only other people who aren't feeling those feelings who are going to have that uh, who are going to have sort of that it's a societal pressure basically
2: to not to not take joy that way Do do you remember the movie that came out a few years ago called Lars and the Real Girl never saw it yeah, it, it's, it's in very, my queue. I know what you're talking about. But. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Lars, the, the Ryan Gosling character in the movie, mm-hmm. um, has a relationship with, with uh, a doll.
0: <laughs> yeah, except he doesn't because the doll's not actually interacting with him. Um, forgive me, I haven't right. seen the movie, but I mean, right. there, there is a difference with something like Menuet or something that happens on the holodeck because you are actually getting interaction.
2: Well, there is. Yes. And and I agree with you because I mean, the, the doll doesn't do anything. And, and essentially, this is the relationship is a construct of his mind. Right. OK. But where where do we then get to draw that line to say, well, no, the, this is less real. And Minuet, Minuet certainly is more real. Um, but is it because she talks is because she listens is because the programming gives us the illusion that she is thinking on her own mm-hmm. you know um is it the combination of well you've got lara's and the real doll and then you've got uh, that old software that i've talked about before eliza that gives the impression that you are having a conversation with a psychoanalyst mm-hmm. even though you're not it's just spitting back what you say back to you right um so, you know, how complex do we expect it to be before we say, well, no, this actually is acceptable? I mean, because what you're saying, and I agree with you, is the people on the outside of the holodeck are going to say, no, this is not acceptable. Right. But, but yeah. it's our first officer, so we're not going to say anything. Well, <laughs> you know?
0: I, I don't understand why we would care, but I guarantee that people would. As of long as, they, as, long as yeah. nobody's being harmed. Yeah. I mean, that really honestly seems to be that that seems to be the place that you draw the line. As long as no living thing is being harmed, then I don't see why it would matter to anyone. And yet I feel certain that, you know, there would be people picketing and calling him a freak.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, do, do you do you end up with something psychologically then at the, at the end of the day that says, well, he, he's missing something by not having that interaction with real people? I mean, granted, he has interaction with real people because his job gives him interaction with real people. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not having a personal relationship with real people. He's having a professional relationship with real people.
0: Yeah. People are laden with disease and and, and <laughs> atrophy and, you know, their their hair turns gray and their and their hair falls out and they get wrinkly. And yeah, I'm not buying it.
2: And that's part of the journey, man. <laughs> you know, only because that's
0: the journey that we've had to go on so far. If he finds, look, you know, yeah. surprise everybody. I don't see any problem with what happened with Riker and <laughs> Minuet. All right, I get it. The problem with Minuet is, you know, her her programming can be terminated. But guess what? So can yours, and so can mine. As as the wise philosopher Jean Luc Picard once said, "We're all machines. We're just different types." Yeah. So I mean, I got you know, I have very little problem with what happened there because, well, for a number of reasons. It's it's yeah. All right. Send send your send your emails. I'm fine.
2: No, because I, I, I'm kind of. <laughs> I, I'm actually kind of there with you, though. I how
0: mean, how I'm, can you not be? I mean, he's oh, having yeah. he's having. I mean, it, it's yeah, bleh, yes, it's a simulation, but but so what. So are so many other things. So are so yeah. many of your dealings with people every day. Probably yeah. the waiter is not nearly as happy to see you as he tries to make himself seem <laughs> when you walk in the door. You're dealing with simulations all the time. I... I, I well, he doesn't listen to this show, so what do I care? The things I say to my dad aren't necessarily how I feel all the time, but right, things right. go easier if my dad thinks that I think a certain right. way. So I'll go ahead. <laughs> I, won't, I won't lie to him, but I'm not going to be all like, no, you're wrong, and here's why, because he's happy with this son that he talks to when he talks to him, you know, without me yelling at him about what I think of his beliefs and vice versa. Right. right. Every, I mean, we move through life in simulation, We do. And some of it's constructs on our side and some of it's constructs on the other side. So if Rikers is going to go ahead and take that next leap and say, you know, I would love to have a significant other that I could actually, you know, hit like a snooze button. I can't do this right now, but when I can, it's going to be exciting. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and I'm not saying that that's optimal. I'm not saying that that's what we should all be aiming for, but I'm saying if that's what he happens to fall for, if that's what happens to happen to him, that's what happens to happen to all of us. We just view it differently.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I mean, like I said, I, I'm mostly there with you. I really right. am because okay. I, I, I think it's a really it's a good argument to make about the, the things in our lives that are constructs, whether it's with naturally occurring people mm-hmm. <laughs> or in this case, in the case of uh, of Riker with a manufactured intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still getting something out of it. I, I just wonder if if there is. And it's sort of an ineffable uh, other that we're missing here with the fact that she is not hmm. human.
0: And yet you don't believe in spirituality. Uh, no. Huh. All right. I, I, you, were, you were a conundrum to me, my friend. You were an enigma okay. wrapped in a riddle.
2: I am. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you don't, you don't believe in spirit, but you think you might be missing something if all you're dealing with is pure energy.
2: Well, no, no. I, I just, I, I want, <laughs> no, no, because it's not that. It, it was it, just,
0: no, it was just fun to say pure energy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, good, no, good. We job. actually, you know, uh-huh. I, I, I hate to be the timekeeper on this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We might want to call time on that because I have a feeling we're going to come back around to it anyway. And I know we both got other things that we wanted to hit. We probably like. Will. I mean, there's there was a whole other question that I had about what's real, uh, you know, on the holodeck. Is the stuff that happens on the holodeck real? I mean, certainly we've talked about whether Riker's relationship with Manuette is real, but then there's also. There's a, there's a, and it's been a while and I don't think it's actually a thing, but I'm curious. There's kind of a, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a borderline, I will say borderline uh, sexism thing going on here. Mm -hmm. When uh, Will tells Minuet to say she loves jazz, she says she loves all jazz except for Dixieland because you can't dance to Dixieland. Riker says, my girl. Now, okay. It's, there are situations certainly in life where, uh, what's the best way to put it? Well, okay, Where is she flesh and blood and where that conversation happening outside the holodeck, that would be a, an interesting thing to say. Maybe he would know flirtation well enough to know that that's going to fly. And he may find that it does and he may find that it doesn't. Right. Uh-huh. What uh-huh. I found myself wondering, though, is if you're and he's not misogynist in this episode. So don't misunderstand. But let's go ahead and take it to its nth degree. Let's say outside the holodeck, he's just, you know, Mr. Mr. Nice Guy. And everybody loves him and everybody thinks, oh, he approaches me in such a kind and open way as he must with everyone. I know that we have a good relationship. Yeah. Let's say yeah. they get that right. And then when he goes into the holodeck, he's just ordering women around because that's his thing. Because the rest of the time, uh is there uh, no no does, I, I, does what happens on the holodeck stay on the holodeck i guess is the question that i'm yeah. asking is 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 what happens there real is it applicable to the outside or uh, are are you allowed to live in your fantasy life the way you want to live in your fantasy life when it's decidedly fantasy or do you kind of have to watch things where you're like if somebody did wander in let's say Picard had wandered in And Riker's got, you know, three women tied to the wall and he's hitting them with whips. Okay, And that's that's really, really, really extreme. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But is Picard then like uh, we might need to talk or or is what's happening in the confines of that total fantasy space um, off limits?
2: Well, maybe this is where we come back to the previous discussion we were having. Maybe this is where I'm. Trying to find the place to draw that line between what is what is real, you, know, you kind of, it, for real, real versus <laughs> what is real to the player in the holodeck, and why there is a difference because the holodeck assumes a kind of complicity. For everybody who's in there and the characters Now, the characters may be antagonistic um, as they were in the big goodbye, Mm -hmm. but the characters are still complicit in what the the programmer, the controller, the operator, the player wants to have happen. So a real person would not stand for either being. You know, demeaned or abused or or these things that that could potentially go to the far extreme in the holodeck, which you could safely play out in the realm of fantasy in the holodeck, because those aren't real characters with real lives and real emotions. They are programmed. So, well, I, there are two things yeah. I'll say. First of all, you say mm-hmm. a real person wouldn't. And I'll say
0: you just haven't met the right guy right or I mean, there are, <laughs> There are some people who actually would do that. But the other I mean, really forget the holodeck. The holodeck is just an extension of Riker's head, right? The the holodeck is an imaginarium. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, do you worry then about what somebody's thinking as opposed to, and I don't want to be all thought police about it, but I mean, is the attitude in play, eh, let's say, you know, songs that people write, or, you know, you you read somebody's journal, which you should not do, or, you know, short stories that they write or things like that. I mean, do do we worry about somebody moving around in society because they wrote a scary story or because they wrote a violent story? Or because they play violent video games or I mean, all of those things. I mean, where do we yeah. where do we start to worry about somebody in real life based on the fantasy stuff that
2: they do? Right. Well, I mean, we talked about that a little bit with The Big Goodbye, because I was talking about uh, gaming and how I'm not a gamer. And I was intrigued by this argument that was going on between Roger Ebert and his readers a few years ago. Yeah. Um where he was really coming down hard on gaming, saying, you know, that this is not art. And it's and I think he was going with the idea that games are primarily violent. And then you kind of get to that argument about, well, does the violence in gaming then increase violence in the real world? And scientifically, there's indication that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it OK to let people play this out in fantasy? But then is a the holodeck too real? Is it too much a uh, a, um, a real experience for the player that they actually feel like they're doing those things as opposed to a little bit of a separation with a game where it might feel real in the moment, but it's easy to leave behind? I, I, I don't know. And by the way, just going back to your thing about um, his treatment of Minuet, we actually got a great article that um, I'm I, I'm trying to get permission to post it in uh, in our Discovered Documents, but it's an article in uh, a journal, an academic journal called Popular Culture Association in the South, and um, it was written by Rhonda Wilcox, and she's talking about the the article is called Shifting Roles and Synthetic Women in Star Trek The Next Generation, and there's a chunk of that talking about Minuet Mm. and uh, what this relationship is between Riker and Minuet and Riker's sort of getting to live out this fantasy of the perfect woman that he's kind of in control of. You know, of course she says I love jazz and of course she says I hate dixieland because it's exactly what he wanted to hear. So, is it does it make Riker sexist? Well, not necessarily, but it, this is a bit of fantasy fulfillment That, again, probably would not play out in the real, real world, only the real world, as real as it is in the holodeck. Well, again, unless you found the right girl. Right. Which, I mean,
0: which may sound, I mean, that may sound um, flip, and it may even sound borderline sexist, but I would say the same thing if it were Crusher, uh, Dr. Crusher on on the holodeck, you know, looking for a a guy that she could boss around or looking for a guy who would say exactly what she wants him to say. Because, I mean, ultimately, isn't that... On some level, isn't that what people are looking for?
2: Yeah, but it, it does that then set a uh, totally unrealistic expectation? Because Riker still has to live and operate in the real world, which is getting along with the people that he works with. Sure. W- which he does. Well, it kind of sets know? an
0: unreal expectation, unless you decide that that expectation is being met in your fantasy life. Mm-hmm. In which case, you don't have that expectation when you're walking around in the real world anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. It could be. We keep coming back to that same that same topic and i know we do have others that you wanted to hit
2: uh just a little bit i, I do want to talk about the binars um not to be confused with comedian john Biner. i uh, don't know if you remember him or not um nobody they, remembers john Biner. nobody remembers john Biner. it what wasn't was he so the so voice
0: funny? of the thing in the black cauldron oh i think he was yeah okay yeah. so at least one person remembers john Biner. i always thought he was kind of bizarre
2: oh uh, uh, okay, see you see. do i, okay, I know good. john Biner,
0: yeah I good know john job Biner.
2: thank good you good job all right um they have this complex relationship with their technology. And and it was kind of cool. Wesley early on says, um that must have tremendous advantages. And they're like, Yeah, it has some disadvantages too. <laughs> like our whole world is about to be wiped out. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, weird that Wesley didn't say like what, because then they would either they'd tell them what or or go,
2: mm, nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I thought, well, of course it would be them. They, they would be the ones who would be able to take the holodeck technology to the next level, probably because they don't see any separation between man and machine, which is the whole conversation that you and I have been having. Where is that separation and what does it really mean?
0: I don't think that's the conversation that we've been having, but okay.
2: Uh, well, I, I think it's partly the conversation. It's partly the conversation I've been having, yeah,
0: but yeah. then there's also just, I mean, the nature of feeling. I mean, I really think that's, sure, what, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. what we're talking about is, is, I mean, what's more real than what you feel in a yeah. way? And and certainly there are people who would argue that there's a lot more than that. And I understand that on some level, but the ones that don't do harm, if you take mm-hmm. the technology part of it out of it. But anyway, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I wonder if the binaries have been written today. Mm -hmm. Um, would there be a darker side to them? Because like I said, they're, they're they're very friendly. They're very nice and, and they're they're sort of small and non-threatening. But they're, yeah, they're, they're very benign. They're, they're almost childlike. Um, But then I thought there was this darker implication about how dependent we are on our technology. You know, when this show came out in 1988, we didn't live in a world where people were constantly connected via computer and cell phone and tablet and everything else and and you know a thousand channels on your uh cable or satellite. Mm-hmm. We didn't live in that world at that time, so the the Star Trek version of technology in this respect is, oh look, they've taken a a really, really, really far step. That's not the way that humans act, but it's kind of cool that we get to use them to enhance our own technology. And I kept thinking that there might be a really dark side to this that we're just not seeing in this episode. And maybe that's one of the ways that Star Trek overall kind of looks dated um, or you know, maybe it's more of that projection of a better future. You know, on Star Trek, their leisure time and the the flow of choices and information that they have isn't nearly as diverse or strenuous as what we face now you don't see people walking around the halls of the enterprise looking at a phone and looking at a tricorder and looking at a pad all at the same time pretty much when people interact with each other they're talking to each other right when picard is sitting at his desk looking at a computer he looks at it for a few seconds and then he's done yeah. and then he, then he interacts with people so that was just my thought that um Maybe we're more like the binars, or the fear is becoming more like the binars and uh, not being as much like our heroic crew.
0: Well, even our heroic crew had the same problem the binars did, though. I mean, think about what happened in Star Trek IV. Mm-hmm. Here, here comes the probe, and we don't yeah. know what the probe is, and we don't know how to communicate with the probe. But, you know, we keep dying every time the probe comes by because we are, you know, not quite as... We're not quite as interconnected with our technology as the binars are, but even mm-hmm. in the 1987 telling of, you know, the 23rd century, uh, we are as dependent.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, sure. that, that's
0: going to happen if you live in a, in a, in a star base <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> off planet. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind, of, kind of dependent on technology a bit. Um, right. the, the one thing that I found myself or one of the things that I found myself wondering was um, having data. Uh, be able to pull the trigger on on abandoned ship. Um, Part of me wondered if I wanted to have a machine make that decision. Um, He certainly makes the decision more quickly than anyone else would have which is good since they have next to no time. They've got four minutes according to everything on their gauges, right? Yeah. I don't know that if Geordi had been the one in charge or if Picard had actually been present and had to hear from Geordi about it um, would Jordy have been strong enough to say, "Look, I know you don't understand the intricacies of what I'm about to tell you, but trust me, we got four minutes to get everybody off this ship," or mm. would everybody have deferred to command? Certainly, Wesley tries to. I mean, Data's like, "Gotta get everybody off the ship. We got four minutes and seventeen seconds, or something along those lines." Yeah, yeah. And and Crusher's like, "Shouldn't we? Uh, shouldn't we ask the captain?" Data's like, "No time." Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know if he's including the fact that, well, we don't really have time to track him down or if he's like, look, if we track him down, then we're going to have to explain it. And then we seriously have no time. So let's just get everybody out of here now. Um, It's kind of interesting. that The binars have actually made a similar decision as uh, two data's Mm -hmm. because I don't think Kirk would have gotten everybody off the ship in four minutes. I think Kirk might have might have evacuated non-essential personnel and then tried his creative thinking, you know, to try to figure out how they can get around it. And, right, maybe, and right. maybe this is part of what was going on with data as well. He's like trying to access c- his creativity, but he doesn't really have any, or at least he doesn't think he has any. And so when he comes down to everybody's going to die, well, let's get everybody out of here so everybody lives. It's admirable. Uh, at the same time, it, it ends up being wrong. And, and would, would somebody else have had tried to find a, a, different way to, uh, a different way to solve the problem? Um, having said all of that, then again, maybe Picard would have listened to everybody since the second he finds out, okay, well, it's just the two of us and we don't know who's taking the ship and we don't know where it's going. So let's blow this puppy up. I mean, he I mean, he he can be pretty um, cut and dry about the whole thing if he needs to be. It was just I don't know. On the one hand, it seemed like there was there was the danger of like a a Colossus or Terminator kind of future if life and death (laughs) decisions can be left in the hand of a robot. Then again, that robot, I think, is fourth in line, third or fourth in line for command. So, you know, you're not really supposed to have this problem.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but but that robot has gone through the multiple years of Starfleet training, as he explained to Lore, and he has achieved a level of command on the Enterprise, and rightfully so. Um, But yeah, no, I, I agree exactly with what you're saying. He makes the decision, and that may not necessarily have been his decision to make. That, that seems like the kind of thing that should go through the captain. Um, well, except they couldn't get in touch with the except captain. Except they couldn't get in touch with the captain, exactly. Right. So. They can't
0: get in touch. With, I mean, he is he is the right person to make that person. He is mm-hmm. the right being to make that decision at that yeah. point. Um, it actually just made me wonder about, uh, well, should he be the person to make that decision? And, and right. here again is a problem with the holodeck. Why not just make a smaller hol- holodeck where the ship can run itself? <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you can program. We've seen this, and we will see it more. And I know I'm not supposed to talk about what's coming up, but we'll see it more. Where the holodeck is is uh, the computer on the Enterprise is really capable of some really like sort of creative thinking or some creative seeming thinking. Anyway, if you give it the parameters to do that, yeah. How we don't end up with ships that just you know sort of fly themselves, I I, I don't quite understand, but. Maybe that will be for Star Trek, the next, next, next generation.
1: Sorry if my first job talk confused you. I pulled a Ghostbusters and crossed the streams. And in saying I pulled a Ghostbusters, I pulled another Ghostbusters.
0: This is one of those shows that I feel like we could do for hours. Oh yeah, I and uh, and sadly we don't. <laughs> I say sadly, but then you know, then some poor schmo has to edit the whole thing, and so maybe he doesn't have hours to do that. Plus, you know, I think we'd end up going around in circles. So, so instead, we we find the jumping off point. The jumping off point. Uh, the sign at the exit says, uh, "Time now to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings of the given episode, and whether the whole thing stands the test of time." Uh, a bunch of numbers, John. I can't remember. Is 11001001. Uh, very good. Thank you very much. Is that, is that uh, your assessment of this episode, sir? Messages, morals, does the whole thing hold up? Uh, give your summation.
2: All right. Well, I, here's the thing. Uh, the binaries, we, we mentioned a little bit before. Uh, I don't know if they necessarily hold up. It, it is a bit of a monoculture. And I, and I get it. That, that is their whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. but it's a little too on the nose that, oh, they're, they're binary and their names are one and zero and they're computers. And it's just, you know, layer upon layer upon layer of hammering home the same exact thing. And that comes across as a little hokey. I kept thinking that somebody showed up at the writer's room at NextGen one day in late 1987 and said, hey, you know, I've been reading about computers. Did you guys know that they speak a language called binary, which is made up of ones and zeros? What can we do with that? And then thus this episode was born. So I felt like that part of it didn't really truly hold up. But other than that, as just sort of a, a minor complaint, I feel like this is one of the standout episodes of Next Gen so far. Mm-hmm. Really great use of the holodeck to be able to spark a conversation like the one that we had. And in fact, Ken, I mean, I, I think it's not just this episode that could spawn hours and hours of discussion. It, it's a whole holodeck Thing. You know, mm-hmm. you and I could do uh, several hours on just trying to figure out the holodeck and what that means to the people who are using it. Um, there was also a good build of tension in this episode. Like I said, we threatened to blow up the Enterprise not once, but twice. And, um, and it was kind of cool and creepy to see the Enterprise empty again i always uh, kind of appreciate it when that happens yeah um there may have been corners cut in this episode but overall it's very good and it's very entertaining um like i said it's just the binars themselves who may feel a little dated or a little false in the episode but that's okay because the overall story is really great um how about you um
0: I, i i don't even have a problem with the binars. Honestly. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's. I mean, because I'm kind of used to hokey aliens on Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's it really. And so if, if you're going to assume that sometimes the aliens are going to be awesome and sometimes they're not going to be awesome, I'm not looking at like the whole monoculture thing, but I'm looking at what's presented by them. I mean, I go back to, uh, what were they? The snakes, the lizards and the what? The lizards and the dogs. <laughs> and the, the lizards and the, and the dogs. cats. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that. Yeah. those were bad aliens. And yeah, they yeah. weren't, and not only was the, I mean, they looked okay as long as they were standing stock still, but when they were supposed to be moving or doing something, they weren't great. Yeah. And then when you examine, you know, their culture, there's nothing interesting there. Oh, right. I'm a snake. Uh, I'm a dog. Okay. Whatever. I don't like you. Yeah. I don't like you either. There's nothing interesting about those cultures. And so you end up with a culture that has a very different look. You end up with a culture that actually—I mean—that's—that's that's like a totally different culture, right? Mm. Not mm. just—I uh, don't know. Uh, so they did not bother me a bit. I love the grandeur that they're actually able to present in TNG. And yes, the scale was off from the um, from uh, the Enterprise from the Enterprise D to the sure. space station. Yeah. But who cares? They—I yeah. mean, we 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 actually we are now on a Star Trek that that. Rather than, as you say, like they would have done the original series, they would have said, oh, well, now we're in this sp- space station. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because they couldn't do anything else. They couldn't afford it. And it's neat to see, you know, it's neat to see um, a lot of the grandeur that, we're, that we've that we been told about for so long. Yeah. Uh, once again, Data gets an interesting life lesson in this episode that is not part of the episode. It's not like a really big deal. Uh, but I love the fact that it's happening. Last episode, it was Let's Not Look for Trouble. Uh, this time, Data is worried that he might have been negligent. And Yar, and I, I said in the recap, a well-written Tasha Yar says to him, you can't beat yourself up for things you can't control. I and mean, that's pretty yeah. much it. We can, and I, and I know people who do, second-guess ourselves about things that we have absolutely no control about at all. But then we sit there and say, "Oh, but what could I have done? Well, sure. And you could also you know, stop starvation. And you could, I mean, any number of things you could do if you were you know, superhuman, which technically Data is. But even had he been there, there's no guarantee that he would have been able to do anything. And that's a great—that's a great life lesson. Don't beat yourself up for things that you've not uh, over which you literally had no control. Because mm-hmm. yeah, maybe you could have done something, but maybe you couldn't have, and will you just end up paralyzing yourself. Kind of like Riker stopped him last week from paralyzing himself with the whole, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Don't mm-hmm. look for trouble, and don't beat yourself up for about things that you really have no control over. Um. The only thing that I had any problem with at all, and yeah. this is kind of nitpicky, and yet the whole thing sort of hinges on it too, uh, Picard's ability to think like a binar saves the day, but the flaw is Picard wasn't supposed to be there. Riker was supposed to be there. Right. Minuet actually says that Picard being there was a happy coincidence or a happy circumstance, whatever. And yet it takes two of them <laughs> to restart <laughs> the computer on Binus.
2: Right.
0: So if, if things had gone as planned, Riker would have been by himself going, well, I could try to stretch over there, but I don't think that'll do it. <laughs> and I can't wake up one of the Lilliputians because they're really out because I can't restart their computer. That's
2: it, of... it would have been like Richard Pryor and Superman 3 trying to reset that uh, computer that, that requires two users to operate. It would have been just a, a comedic mess. You know,
0: John, sometimes yeah. I think we're
2: geeks. And then, I, <laughs> and then I
0: realize we are to an extent. <clears throat> you remember yeah. Superman three? That's that's just wow.
2: I don't know why that popped into my head. <laughs> it, it, it's like data remembering the colonists. Just all of a sudden, just and, and then there's this random memory. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I apologize. I apologize, that. Yeah, and I apologize in advance because more will come.
0: Yeah, no, it's totally cool. I've I've uh, often said I wish I could um, defrag and reformat because I still know the bar that Jack Tripper used to hang out in, and and you know, I, I would love to get rid of that. I would just if I could have those bits back, that would be awesome.
2: Uh, so are we meeting the Regal vehicle later after the show. Yeah, dude.
0: I'll never forget now. I'll never
2: forget. Yeah.
0: So anyway, Um, so I, so as far as messages, forgive me, I, I, there was a whole lot of neat stuff here. There's no, this is not a donate paint issue. This is not a bonk, bonk on the head, um, you know, sort of episode, but oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, is there so much stuff here to play with? And it really, there's also, I mean, you're right. The tension is fantastic. Honestly, when, when Riker and Picard are walking lockstep down the hall to retake their ship, and there's also a genuineness about, about, um, about uh, Picard in this episode. He's fairly free with the praise, because this mm-hmm. is the first time that we've seen them go back into uh, Federation territory since Encounter at Farpoint, right? Yeah. They, they, they can sure stand is, yeah. down now. And yeah. so, so while we think of it as, well, well, this week we're doing this, 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 for Picard and crew, this has been a leg of their mission, Right. Yeah. And so he can actually exhale when they get into the star base. and once they can exhale, you know what? Throw a snowball at Picard in this episode, and he'll probably be like, "You little scamp!" Because <laughs> w- because once they can exhale, he's like, "Well done, number one!" And then he turns around to the whole bridge crew and says, "In fact, well done, everyone!" Yeah. And then later he tells he tells Riker again what a good job he's done. I mean, there's just a, th- this is this is a. This is a well-realized crew at this point. This is this is this show really starting to hit its stride, it feels like. I can't guarantee that it's going to be like this every episode after because, you know, certainly <laughs> that, there's no guarantee. But this this felt like one of, I mean, as you said earlier, this is definitely a standout of what we've seen so far.
2: Agreed. Um, there are a few little messages that I picked up on. Um, Ken, don't be a Binar. Ask for what you need. There's no shame in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could have saved a lot of trouble and a lot of effort if they had just done that. Um, also, in the respect of don't be a Binar, uh, not everything can be totally dependent on technology. Mm. You know, uh, <laughs> that, that, well, that, that might be that might be one of their downfalls. They, they didn't have a backup plan that, uh, sure that they didn't did. require them to have a computer.
0: Uh, well, OK. Yeah, there's yeah.
2: that. Yeah, they, they would be, you know, you go on a camping trip with the Binars. Mm-hmm. You'd really you'd really be in trouble. It's just—it's not going to happen. Um, and also, uh, don't be like Riker, just going around falling in love with uh, holographic diversions. Um, or you know what? Scratch that. Just do. Yeah. Because because Picard seems to be okay with the idea anyway, and uh, the illusion is more real than the woman after all.
0: Yeah, and the one other thing I would say is uh, before entering the holodeck, knock. <laughs>
2: Yes, that is a good rule. Fifteen minutes later,
0: there is no telling what Picard would walked <laughs> in <laughs> All
2: right. Well, uh, to wrap it up, we uh, want to remind our listeners to check out Roddenberry.com because uh, they have cool Star Trek things and non-Star Trek things. But we're assuming if you listen to our show that you like Star Trek, maybe even just a little. And uh, they have all kinds of cool things like props. Costumes. Uh, I mentioned last week scripts for the movies and including the long lost script to the uh, phase two that would have been the motion picture, In Thy Image. You can get that at Roddenberry.com. Next week, Ken, what do we have?
0: Next week, John, we have Too Short a Season.
1: Some of the music formation log provided by Warp11, online at warp11.com, and from the album messages, by Key Theory, free to download at K-I-Theory.com. You may be wondering. What's a knockout like me doing on a podcast like this? If you are wondering that. That makes at least two of us. And transmission.